Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue. You're, the Cubs signed one of the best starting pitchers on the free agent market for like real money home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs and apparently baseball not happening at Bleed Cubby Blue. Andy is off today, but I am thrilled to be joined by a friend of the show who needs no introduction, a host of the Sun Ranto podcast, Danny Rocket. Uh, hey, everybody. It's great to be here. Sarah, thanks for having me on. I, I love talking baseball with you just about more than uh, anybody else on the planet. So it's just wonderful to be here with you on Cup of Cubby Blue. Oh, my Lord. I, I love talking baseball with you, too. And it's been a hot minute since we've been able to record a podcast together. So this is going to be fun. I'm sure our listeners out there are like, wait, a new episode showed up on Cup of Cubby Blue and there hasn't been one for ages. And, and that is true. Uh, I apologize, y'all. It's been a wild, wild few months of trying to get back in line with the pandemic and stuff. But we're back just in time for baseball to not be happening at all. So we have the whole <laughs> offseason to talk about all of the things that the Cubs have done, have not done, might do. And and let's just jump right in. Because honestly, Danny, if you had asked me three days ago what the Cubs are doing, my answer would have been nothing. And my answer would have been nothing for the foreseeable future. And my answer would have been you're going to get signings like Clint Frazier and you're going to be happy about it and that's all you are going to get and then yesterday the Cubs absolutely blew my mind and signed Marcus Stroman who was the best starting pitcher still available maybe the best starting pitcher option uh, in the class not named Max Scherzer depending on who you read and who you talk to so what are what are the Cubs doing who is this team signing players and doing things well, I was shocked, but then again, when I really took a step back and thought about it, I'm, I don't think I should be shocked. Like This was a team that a few short years ago was signing the big name in every single offseason, whether it was you Darvish or years before the, you know, a transitional and like generational talents of John Lester, who, you know, did, you know, really was the big signing that put us on the map. You know, so th all those years going way back, we got every single big name free agent. And Marcus Stroman isn't even as big of a name as some of those guys. And so I think we had been conditioned to expect very little um, since the last big signing was Daniel Descalso. So we just kind of got it doesn't bitter. count. Doesn't count. It's not it, big. <laughs> it's not, well, it turned out to be really not big, but like. But to me, it's just like we should, as Cub fans, we should not allow ourselves to think that we shouldn't be signing the Marcus Stroman's of the world. And now that signals to me that they have to build something even bigger than that. Now you're thinking, ooh, maybe they do sign Correa. Maybe they do make even bigger splashes. They're going to have to because if you're going to spend all this money on Stroman, pay him all this money every year, it doesn't make any sense to pay him all that and, and not do more. Absolutely. And we are definitely going to get into the Correa rumors because, frankly, I love them and, and I'm here for it. And I need baseball to be back very quickly so we can talk more about Carlos Correa and I can obsessively refresh Twitter for that rather than lockout news. But before we do that, I want to go back to what you were saying because, I, you know, I was writing my piece about the Jan Gomes signing. Uh, and, and the reason that this comes up with Jan Gomes is because Jan Gomes was signed to a two-year, $13 million deal to be the quote unquote backup catcher for the Chicago Cubs. We'll get into that too. But um, that was the first multi-year positional player free agent signing since our friend Daniel Descalso, who some of us would like to forget. 
That was 1,078 days between signing free agents to multiple year like contracts for position players, not for pitchers, for, for position players. 1,078 days. And, and the two guys between the margins there are Jan Gomes and Daniel Descalso. Of course, Cubs fans thought this front office wasn't going to do anything. They have not done anything for a long time. Yeah, 1,078 days is a lot of days, uh, but who's counting? I mean, the and, you know, with the Stroman signing, I, I feel like, and the Jan Gomes signing, you know, you're you've def, you're definitely, well, you're, you're shoring up something that was a total disaster last year, which was the backup catcher position, which I don't think Jan Gomes, I don't view Jan Gomes as a backup, and I don't think he views himself as a backup. And Wilson Contreras certainly does not view <laughs> Jan Gomes as a backup if you check out his uh, Twitter feed. But, uh, you know, the... I feel like this is the exact right thing for Wilson. It's like when he catches 130 games a year, the bat suffers. And so you, you, you get somebody like Jan Gomes to take more than a normal backup catcher's fair share of the games catching. And he's a great defensive catcher. He's, he's, you know, known for, uh, and it's interesting that he was actually from that Cleveland squad, which Carter Hawkins was a big part of too, the new Cubs GM. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, crossover with that and it helps Wilson out a lot. I know everybody thought he was traded at first, right. You know, including him, including Wilson, (laughs) but you know, but it really, you, with the DH coming to the major leagues, ostens- you know, probably like likely to come. You ha- you can give Wilson those at bats. He's got an amazing bat. He's got an incredible power. Imagine if he's not stuck catching all the time, and he's and he can run. The man can run. He can play first base. He can play a little left field. Like you can move Wilson around and get more value out of how talented he is. Wasn't he an infielder in the minors? Yeah, he was a third baseman, actually, and and saw that he was blocked by a kid named Chris Bryant. And so he put on the catching gear one day, and that's how Wilson Contreras became a catcher, which it's kind of astounding to think that he's so athletic. You know, one day he was just like, yeah, let me see if I can do this catching thing now. And he starts back-to-back All-Star games. I, I think you are 100% right. This is exactly what Wilson Contreras needs to get to his potential. You know, I was looking at some research for a piece I wrote about the Jan Gomes signing. And and I did a comparative with him and Wilson because they're going to be sharing time. But in 2020, admittedly shortened season, when Wilson had a shot to DH sometimes, really get some rest, when Victor Caratini could spell him, that was shaping up to be Wilson Contreras' best season. If you prorate his value during that pandemic shortened season, he would have had 4.3 fan graphs war. That is by far his best season since... 2016 and 2017, when he had much better backup support in Ross and Montero, right? Like when Wilson catches every single day, the bat suffers and he gets injured. Give him a 60-40 split with Gomes, put him in as the DH when he's got some off days so he can keep the bat in and keep the energy in and do that stuff. I think if you do that, Wilson Contreras is going to have a WRC plus north of 130 and he might put together an MVP caliber season. Well, that's just what the Cubs want to see in his contract here. They're like, oh, God, this is going to cost him every home run. They're like, well, I guess we can't afford him. Um, Well, yeah, and I think it brings up the best of him. And then if you think about, I think a lot of we saw Fiery Wilson last year. You know, he was complaining about, you know, what he perceived to be a lack of effort on the, the 
on the on the Cubs last year. You had a got a lot of guys in contract years. They all got traded. And, you know, there was a lot of pressure on everybody to perform. And it was, you know, the the band's last shot at it, you know. And I feel like with somebody like Stroman, who has a very similar personality to Wilson Contreras, I think that, you know, that might Either it's going to be an explosive situation in which, like, you know, I, I said it on the Sun Ranto show last night. I'm like, are we going to have another Michael Barrett Zambrano situation? I'm like, I don't totally see that comp, but I, I think that you might have, uh, you know, a lot more fire, just natural human fire in this lineup. And then, you know, you add that to the new guys and who knows how this, the makeup of this team and the vibe of the team takes shape. It might not be as flashy. It might not be as pretty, but it, it, we could be, we could be ugly good. And if that becomes a phrase of the year, I want credit right now. Ugly good. <laughs> hey, I'm okay with ugly good. I would always rather win ugly than lose pretty. And frankly, from 2018 on, a lot of times it sort of felt like the Cubs were losing pretty. Like they just didn't have some of that edge that got them victories over and over and over again. I, I agree with you that Stroman and Wilson, that could be I, – I, I'm going to say they're going to be besties. I think that they're going to get along well. I, I, I can't bring it to believe that two of my favorite players in the game are going to have any problems with each other whatsoever. Let's talk about some of these other signings, though. Uh, Wade Miley – I thought this was a savvy move by Jed Hoyer. I think that I, I am unsure what Cincinnati was doing, uh, DFAing Wade Miley. I think a $10 million player option for Wade Miley is eminently reasonable. And I'm curious, Danny, what do you think about Wade Miley as now the Cubs number three starter? I hated him as a number two. I like him a lot as a number three. Sure. Or even slot it. I mean, I'd like to slot him back even one more if we could, and they pick up somebody else. Uh, but you know, he had a pretty decent 2021. It was kind of a shock that the Reds would even let him go for the 10 million because he's going to eat you innings. He had 163 innings pitched last year, 337 ERA. And you're like, oh, no, we don't need that. It's like, that doesn't make any sense to me in 10 million in this, you know, particular climate when you're paying Stroman 30 uh, in a year. It seems for the same amount of innings seems pretty fair, especially from the left side. ERA plus of 141 last year. I mean, we're, we're talking about a really decent guy, which then I'm thinking to myself, okay, what do the Reds know that the Cubs did not know when they picked up Wade Miley? And he's getting older. I mean, he's 35 next year. And, you know, so it might not, it might be on the back. It's, he's definitely on the back end of his career. I mean, that much is obvious. Not going to pitch Satchel Page years, you know what I mean? But uh, Rich Hill years, even at this point. Um, but, you know, it, he's a valuable asset to eat those innings, especially when you have such a young pitching staff, which you're, you want to protect them. You want to protect your Justin Steeles of the world. You want to protect your Alzelay's. Let them get through, you know, the order, the one time, maybe let them through two times, three times, absolutely get them out of there, protect your pitchers, you know, and Wade Miley brings you that veteran know-how uh, along with uh, Stroman. And then you got Kyle Hendricks, where he didn't even mention how that works with the one, two, three punch. And then you can fill out the back end with the youth. You know, that's a pretty formidable top three starting rotation. You lack a true velocity ace, but you replace it. If you, I don't know who you call the ace on the squad uh, between uh, Stroh and uh, Hendo, but, uh, you know, uh, Stroh with all that movement and the pitch mix, 
He's not dialing it up at 97, but that's okay because he's giving you the innings instead. But, uh, you know, so it's – I just like how it all profiles. I would love one more one more arm and slot Miley back. As I said, I'd like him in the fourth spot. So, I don't know, how, do, how do you feel about Miley? Were you surprised? I mean, I think that was unexpected for even Jed. It was unexpected for me mainly because I didn't think Miley would be available. So I wasn't really thinking about, oh, who's going to wind up with Wade Miley? And when he was DFA'd, I thought it was a little surprising. But frankly, I'm I'm not going to lie. I spent a lot of time in the last few months distracted by the real world and like stuff that was going on with the Supreme Court and stuff that was going on with the never ending number of coronavirus variants and whatever and feeling like we live in pandemic hell and it's never going going to change. And so Wade Miley just wasn't top of mind for me. But the second I saw it come across (laughs) my alerts that the Cubs had picked him up and it was $10 million, I was like, yeah, that do that. I can't believe somebody else didn't do that. I believe they call it intelligent spending in the business. <laughs> Dude, I intelligent spending might be my least favorite phrase. And I admit that what we're seeing from Jed right now looks like intelligent spending. But can I just say, I've been so frustrated with this front office since Theo left, mainly because Theo is many things. His legacy is probably tarnished by some bad free agent signings and like the fact that the Cubs offense broke and he never really figured out a way to fix it because he just couldn't bear trading his core. And I yeah. think that was a mistake on Theo's part. And, you know, he's great. He broke the curse. He'll always be great uh, on the north side of Chicago. But Theo was always transparent. He was fine getting up for a press conference and telling you what he thought about things that would not be popular, that he thought the Cubs were going to rehabilitate Addison Russell for example, because they were responsible for him or whatever thing was going through Theo's head. I thought that was wrong, but I respected a lot the fact that Theo would get out there and talk to the reporters about it and take questions about it for an hour. Jed is much more of the opaque consultant type guy. He's like, oh, it's not a rebuild. It's a reset. I'm like, retool. (laughs) it's a retool. Like, what does that even mean? That doesn't mean anything. It's not a term of art. Nobody knows what that means. Does it mean a year? Does it mean two years? What is, what is going on, Jed? And he is not interested in giving you those details. And so when he was like, yeah, we're going to do intelligent spending. I was like, that is a nonsense phrase. Were you unintelligently spending before? Well, they were. So (laughs) (laughs) were you deliberately going out? You're like, we're just going to throw money at these people. It's never going to work. We don't care. We're just burning it. Like I, I just feel like intelligent spending is not a particularly useful way to gauge who the Cubs will be in and out on. I would hope the front office is always intelligently spending. Well, they weren't, though. I mean, you know, they they really weren't. I mean, I felt like Theo just, you know, really was spending like a, a drunk college kid with a trust fund half the time. Like, you know, Drew Smiley, for example, you know, just like, hey, we'll pay this guy seven million bucks to rehab and then he'll be in the World Series with somebody else. Like, you know, that's the kind of thing that drives me nuts. And, uh, you know, and, you know, the Morrow signing, lots of writing on the wall for that. Tyler Chatwood, you know, the peripherals weren't really there. Everybody was like, oh, no, it'll be different when the air's more humid. I'm like, whatever. Like, you know, it's just like all these excuses. And so, uh, you know, at this point I'm fine with Jed and I'll, I'll say, even though it's frustrating as a fan to hear Jed basically gaslight all the fans all the time with double speak and, you know, kind of, you know, opaquely saying nothing in these innocuous phrases that mean nothing like intelligent spending, 
you know, even though that's a problem, what I do like about it is that the Cubs are not showing their hand at all times, which I feel like in the past, like all the other teams knew we were trying to trade Kyle Schwarber so he never could. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like everybody knew he belonged in the AL and there's nothing we can do about it because everybody knew that. So everybody wanted him for a, a song instead of us being like, we love Kyle Schwarber. He's the integral part of this team. Like we won't part with him. And then, you know, but everything just kind of went south. So I'm kind of glad for the change of vibe to it, even though I am frustrated listening to the BS. That's my take. Yeah. I mean, to go back to the Chatwood thing for one second, in fairness to Theo, <laughs> do we have to? The, the, the air actually <laughs> did change Chatwood's pitches. It made them worse. Uh, he had no idea where the ball was going 90% of the time. Like he wasn't missing on like, he wasn't walking guys on like near misses. He was walking guys on like way outside. Like the ball has like flown oh, I, out of I Wilson's reach. Oh, it was awful. Dude, it, dude, it looked, it looked bad from the bleachers. <laughs> like, that's not, <laughs> let me tell you, like, this is not good. Yeah. I think he's like the, one of very few players I have ever heard Cubs fans boo. And it's usually like his third walk in the first inning. And they were just like, we cannot with you, Tyler. Like, what are yeah. you doing? Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. anyway, no, I, I agree with you. I think that I, I, I'm frustrated with Jed's inability to communicate in a way I can understand what is actually going to happen. But what mm. they've done this off season so far doesn't look terrible to me. Miley is an absolutely affordable arm who gets you some length. Uh, the, the one guy we haven't talked about yet, and let's talk about him right now is, is Clint Frazier. I mean, Clint Frazier was the fifth overall draft pick in 2013. He was picked like three spots behind Chris Bryant. He was picked 12 spots ahead of Tim Anderson, right? Like this is a pedigree prospect who has been the fourth, fifth outfielder for a New York Yankees team where he just hasn't been able to get any traction at all. And I know there are concussion concerns. I know that he's had some injury issues. But if he can stay healthy and actually get some playing time, Clint Frazier could actually be a legit top-tier outfielder. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's a frustrating career for him so far. I think the concussion was in 2018, and it I guess it kept him out most of that year. And then last year, I think his last the last game he played was sometime at the end of June. And uh, he couldn't see after that. And he was having vision problems. He got pulled out of a rehab game. Same thing. And uh, dizziness, vertigo. You know, that's frightening for a guy. And you obviously wish him the best. And it it would be such a shame if such a bright and promising career, like a fifth overall pick, uh, would end up being uh, a bust because of one concussion. But you... I, I don't I don't know what the treatment for concussion is. I don't know. You know, the Cubs medical staff, I mean, you know, I don't know if they're going to be much help uh, judging by their track record. But at this point, you know, you've got yourself a real. I mean, you're taking a flyer on him to see if he can put it together. And if he does put it together, a million and a half or whatever they paid is nothing. And if this guy comes out and he looked like a world beater in 2020, he came out. And he, there's something happened that year, and he was okay. Um, you hope that can last the whole year. I wonder how they use him. Are they going to use him uh, as, you know, kind of a, have a rotation in that outfield? You know, it's a little crowded out there now. They just got Hermosillo back, too. So I don't know. What, it's a minor league situation. But still, you got the depth sitting there. If it doesn't work out, you lost a million and a half. If it does work out, you're brilliant. So, I mean, I wish him the best. I, I'm just going to kind of wait and see what happens on this. 
Um, obviously a talented guy. Uh, big old, he can grow his hair back, which we're all excited to see. Big old curly. He, he can, you can play uh, Annie and Annie live going on tonight. On, I was going to say on, him, on and Dust, him and Dustin May might be like the big, you know, big red hair matchup to see in the NL next year. I love it. I mean, we had uh, Chafin out there looking like our friend Bleacher Jeff in the outfield last year. If uh, very similar kind of vibe, very similar kind of look. So if if we can get you know that big uh, red fro going out on out there, I think people. I mean, imagine the guy hits three hundred and Cubs are in first place. You know, all of a sudden we're buying red fro wigs. We're going out to left field. We're pretending we're him. He's selling jerseys. We're having a good time. This is the best case scenario for this situation. The worst case scenario is he's dizzy and he can't see it. He's got to sit on the bench and. You know, it's a sad situation. No, I just hope he gets it together uh, from a medical standpoint, just for him personally as a person. Yeah, I totally do as well. I would love to see him have a great career. He was a fan favorite in New York. I've already had a lot of Yankees fans in my mentions and chatting up that they're excited to see what Clint can do on the north side of Chicago. My own brother, actually, who is a Yankees fan, as many listeners know, is absolutely furious that the Cubs got Clint Frazier from the Yankees for nothing. And, and when I say for nothing, it looks like it might actually be for nothing because the Rule 5 draft was canceled today for the first time since 1920. And the only reason Frazier and Odor and I, somebody else I'm blanking on were DFA'd was to make room for the Rule 5 draft. So if there's no Rule 5 draft, the Yankees DFA'd Clint Frazier for no reason. <laughs> oh, poor Yankees. Oh, world's smallest violin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? <laughs> I want to return to one quick thing here with Mark, the Marcus Stroman signing, because you hit on this, but I think we need to spend some time here. That Stroman signing really changes the complexion of what the Cubs are trying to accomplish this offseason. And I and I, I will say this from my own personal perspective. I mean, it totally changed how I viewed the Jan Gomes signing, because I was looking at Jan Gomes as like, all right. The Cubs see a playing time split here with Contreras. It weakens the catcher market for other teams in case they don't extend Contreras and then they can go try to trade him later for more. You know, Jan Gomes and Wilson Contreras. Are, Contreras is better. He's a better defender. He's actually a better framer, which was something that was really intriguing to me to find out. Wilson was in the 67th percentile in framing last year and he was in the and Gomes was in the 22nd percentile in framing. So it's like, you know, Wilson is actually a better framer than Jan Gomes, uh, which I think is amazing. Great. But, <laughs> uh, I, I, that's good news. <laughs> no, no. Craig, Craig, Driver, Craig Driver fixed Wilson. He can fix Jan Gomes. It's going to be outstanding. But the reason I bring this up is because after Stroman got signed, I'm like, oh, the Cubs are not moving Contreras because you can't do a signing like Marcus Stroman and then like move your starting catcher. That is not what they want to signal to players that they're trying to work with right now. It made me more optimistic that Contreras would be extended. And it made me more optimistic that the Cubs were going to do something else. And the something else that I am hoping for in my heart of hearts, that there are rumors about on Twitter right now that we talked about earlier is would they sign Carlos Correa? Would they do a 10 or 12 year, $350 million plus deal to land the best shortstop in the class and not worry about shortstop again for a decade. Well, I mean, look, you, you've, if you're going to have a bunch of ground ball pitchers 
and you know, and and that includes Strowman, and obviously all the the slow ballers, your Alec Millses and your Hendos of the world, and Wade Miley for that matter. Uh, the whole th- you've got to have a shortstop, and if you throw Nico Horner out there, who arguably is one of the best second basemen in the league, and is an amazing second baseman if he can stay healthy. Uh, you you have to have a decent shortstop. You can't throw Nico Horner at short and and expect this to work. You're going to get a lot of balls right through the infield, a lot of frustrating poke you know poke holes in your uh, defense hitting, which you know death by a thousand cuts, and nobody wants to see that. So you have to go get at least a Trevor Story at this point. You know, would they do Carlos Correa? I don't know. It depends what they think, and they're many many years away of your young shortstops. Christian Hernandez, your Yeeson uh, uh, Santana, I believe is his last name, uh, and Ed Howard, for that matter. What? And I know you can't count on this. These are all draft picks. These are all uh, not lottery tickets. They've got a lot of talent coming through, but they are minor leaguers. And uh, so it depends what you think of them, but I don't think you can worry about that because they're three years away. So you got to go get something. And there's two guys in my estimation. There's Carlos Correa, who's going to cost you 12 years, $300 million. You know, he, he will be a cub for the next decade. Um, or Trevor story, which you can thread the needle a little bit more as a bridge to the other guys. Depends what they want to do. It depends where Carlos Correa and Trevor story want to go. I mean, there's a lot, but I mean, once you do the Stroman signing, you need the shortstop and it also signals to Carlos Correa and Trevor Story that the Cubs are in it to win it. So I think both things came at the same time. You know, your need got stronger for the shortstop and the your path to getting the shortstop you want became uh, stronger and clearer. I want to add one more name to the mix of the guys that you just said, because I think there's one other possible bridge to the Ed Howard, uh, Christian... Christian Javier, Christian Hernandez. Javier is the guy for the Astros. Christian, Christian Hernandez. Hernandez. Yeah, my brain's like, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing up baseball player names. Yeah, I'm a little well, rusty. These are minor I'm, mixing league guys. I'm mixing up the names. Um, but what, about, what do you think of an Andrelton Simmons signing there? Because you could sign Andrelton Simmons for two to three years. He's older. He doesn't have the bat as a Trevor Story or a Carlos Correa. But he probably gets you to the day where one of your three top shortstop prospects is ready to rock. And then you're retooling for the next championship team, right? Like now you're looking at the second year of Brennan Davis and some other stuff. Yeah. I mean, really bad year last year uh, for uh, Andrelton Simmons uh, with the twins. Um, God, I don't know. The bat certainly is not there. I mean, at that point, why don't you just use in Sergio Alcantara? You know what I mean? Why not just use him? Because he's great at short. You know, he's, he's got some wheels out there. He's, he's getting the balls. I mean, he's no Javi, but he's, but he's at least, I mean, I have not, do not have the comps in front of me right now, but like Andrelton Simmons, I mean, why pay him when you got, I, I guess that's what I'm saying. Why pay him when you already kind of got like young Andrelton Simmons on your team? And, um, yeah, I don't know that it, it, it's, they got to do something. You definitely need to plug that hole. I would much rather see Nico Horner over on the other side of, of the infield with the DH possible, you know, likely to come. I think you can put Madrigal maybe in that spot. Um, you know, 
platoon them. I don't know what you do. I I mean, it's not even a platoon situation. I I still think that the moves, like maybe even some trades get done. Like if there's, I mean, my, my issue is that you said it yourself. Andrew Simpson is the bat's not there. Well, where's the bat going to come from? You're going to have Patrick Wisdom striking out half the time and hitting 30 home runs if he can get back to that level of pop. You got Frank the Tank, not much pop at all. Not Rizzo pop, but he's going to, you know, get base hits, you know. Who knows what any of the other 31-year-old guys are going to be, your Ortegas of the world, and we don't know what, you know, the guys, Clint, uh, who we just talked about, uh, Clint, uh, why am I – Fraser, we don't know what he's going to be. I mean, there's too many offensive question marks on this team anyway. Right now, you don't have Chris Bryant anymore. You don't have Anthony Rizzo anymore. You don't have Javi Baez anymore. So you got to get that offensive pop from somewhere because it's not like you've got like a Brewers one, two, three punch coming out of your starting rotation. Well, and, you know, the other player who we haven't mentioned yet who deserves a shout out here is Ian Happ. And my kingdom for Ian Happ to actually like sustainably be the MVP candidate, Ian Happ, as a – have you noticed that Ian Happ only has two settings? He is, like, either the greatest guy who's going to be an MVP or he is awful. He is, like, a WRC plus of in the 40s for, like, a month. And I just yeah. – if Ian Happ could figure it out to, like, level that out a bit, that would be outstanding. Yeah, even if, it, even if uh, you didn't even get the highs – or the lows. Like, you just want, like, the middle. Like, just some kind of steady sort of production in the middle of your lineup, which, you know, you, you're just, he can he can do a lot of things. He can get on base. And, you know, there's another one, number one draft pick that's on the verge of being a bust, uh, ultimately. So, and it, what's the, the thing that's frustrating is, like, somebody like Almora, for example. We never really saw him break out. Like, he had a pretty empty batting average. He'd get on base and stuff, but, like, his batting average would be, like, 302, and his OBP would be 302. (laughs) You know, so, you know, it was just like, but somebody like Ian Happ, he's got the power. He hits from both sides. He plays a lot of positions. You know, he he can move around. Such a talented dude. You almost wonder if all that jack of all trades uh, or, you know, Swiss Army knife they've been using him for has really halted his development in some way you know um i i get it that you want that versatility out there but maybe just let him hit from the left side maybe just take the power maybe just take it take it i I have been saying this for months i think that the cubs should do with ian happ what the orioles did with cedric mullins cedric mullins stopped switch hitting and became an all-star just like a legit flat out all-star and i Maybe Ian Happ doesn't need to be a switch hitter anymore. <laughs> yeah. Something what would like happen? That. I mean, and I know it's tough to change and, and you know, it's something that he's been doing for a long time. He probably wants to do it, but at some point you've got to look at uh, the splits. You got to look at, uh, you know, just, just the overall man. And just maybe if you can get him focused in some way, maybe he's drinking too much coffee, just like <laughs> way too much coffee, doing too much podcasting, sitting there with his friends. All right. Well, speaking of coffee, we're going to take a quick coffee break for our sponsors. But on the flip side, we have everything you need to know about what is going on with this remarkably hot stove relative to the last couple of off seasons. What is going on with the lockout and how the two are interrelated. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. All right. So we are back. The hot stove is maybe the hottest I have ever seen it. I've got talking heads on MLB Network all over the place talking about how 
billion has been allocated to free agents. Baseball is fine. The economics are great. I find this self-serving and ridiculous, and I'm pretty sure it's a ruse, because honestly, the owners have every incentive in the universe to make this the hottest stove in history so they can take that to the CBA negotiations and pretend that the free agent market hasn't been broken since the last CBA was negotiated. And we all know Like, we remember the lukewarm stove, right? The ice cold stove, the frigid stove. Like, the free agent market has been broken for a while now. So, Danny, what do you think of these arguments that I see the blue check marks who have to protect their sources and the MLB network talking heads trying to convince us that, hey, the free agent market is fine. Look at all the money in baseball. That's a great point, Sarah, and it's something that I hadn't thought about before is that the reason they would shell out all the money, because nobody was really expecting that to happen. Everybody thought that we'd wait to see that it was going to be dead, 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 as it was for a while, especially for the Cubs, that it would be dead, dead, dead. And then uh, after the CBA was figured out, we all knew the new rules that that's when everything would thaw and there would be a really quick signing period at the end of the lockout. It happened the other way. Now, there's still guys out there, including Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant. Uh, but there are, uh, you know, but I think it's fascinating that you would say that what they would do is this flurry of activity, spend half a billion dollars in in three days. And then everybody would be like, oh, look at these greedy players are getting paid half a billion dollars for like five of them. <laughs> and that is the point. Half a billion dollars for five of them. That is not the thousand uh, major league ball players that are on baseball teams. And that is not the minor leagues that, you know, they're in and out with their options. They want to, they, what the players want is something different. They want systems in place that, that would benefit them um, even slightly. And in my estimation, we can talk, we're going to talk about where the impasse is, but uh, you know, to me, I think it's a fascinating and I do agree. It's a ruse. I agree. I think this is something the owners did. We're like, we're going to spend this because we have it. And which is also interesting to me. You can't cry poor and also spend $500 million too. So like, you you know, there's a lot of incongruities. I don't know if that's the right word to use beer, but there, you know, there's a lot of, uh, but it's giving me incontinence. I'll tell you that much. The, Inco- the, no, that's right. The incongruities are giving me incontinences. And, and <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I don't like it. There's a there's a lot, and you know you see my man for that. I I don't know. I I could rant, and I won't. So I'm going to let you get in a word here, edgewise. And uh, where where are you at this? But great point, Sarah. No, I mean I you can rant all you want. It's a it's a podcast. People are tuning in for the ranting. Um, I you know the thing that I keep thinking about here is something I thought about a couple weeks ago as it was as it was being negotiated. I have a bunch of Tampa Bay Rays fans in my mentions right now, shilling for the owners, talking about how Tampa Bay will be so, so terribly, terribly off if the rules are changed because they can't possibly spend money and they can't possibly compete. And they and they just completed the largest deal in the franchise's history. And, and I think they did that for a couple of reasons. I think they see the writing on the wall that there's probably a salary floor coming in the next CBA. I, I mean, I don't know what that salary floor is going to be. I would propose that it should be $100 million dollars. I think that if you have a major league baseball team in your city and you can't spend $100 million to field that team, you shouldn't have a major league baseball team in your city. And and I imagine that the good people in Tampa Bay can figure that out somehow. Um, And I think that they signed that Wander Franco Franco deal because that helps them get to whatever that future salary floor is going to be. 
But in addition to that, I just think that this whole argument that the small market teams and the mid market teams are going to have so much trouble if the CBA is renegotiated to actually force competition is a lie. I think that there are creative ways for MLB to do things like revenue sharing that would equalize things between the Yankees of the world and the, you know, Tampa Bay Rays of the world. Although the Rays are kicking the Yankees butt these days. So I don't, I don't really know why we're all that worried about it. That's well, that's what the owners want. They want to be the race. I mean, the Ricketts would love to be the race if they could make all the money that the Cubs make and spend as little money as the Rays do. You know, they would love that. that but that's the problem. That is why we are where we are because the Rays proved the concept of a model where they could spend as little money as possible and win all the things. And now all of the teams want to be the Rays, including big market teams like the Cubs, the Red Sox. And the Yankees, and let me tell you who doesn't want the Rays to be their team, the fans. Because you know who I want to cheer for? I want to cheer for a team where I know there might be deals sometimes, where I know that there's a shot that my favorite player, Wilson Contreras, could get extended. And you don't get that if you're a Rays fan. I honestly, like, I, I do not understand how people are Rays fans. Your guy is always going to be traded the second you fall in love with him. Three yeah. years in, he's gone to be flipped for prospects. You don't know. That is not a fun brand of baseball to root for. Look, look at Pittsburgh's starting rotation going all over the major leagues and winning uh, World Series and pennants and stuff. And this is Pittsburgh. You know, Pittsburgh is a big city. It's a lot of biotech in Pittsburgh. There's a lot of money in Pittsburgh. I was there at that wild card game in 2015. It was packed. There was a lot of Cub fans there. But all year long, I went to Pittsburgh games, and it was packed. That city will show up for their games. Uh, that owner will make tons and tons of money if he can keep some players. Did he keep any of them? No. Did it make any sense? No, because they were charging a lot of money for the tickets and there is no secondary market there. I mean, the, the downtown, that, that stadium's downtown, I don't buy it. You know, you go to Kansas City, go to a Chiefs game. They've got a huge area to tailgate. It, it's almost like if you've been to a game in Milwaukee. That Milwaukee, another quote unquote small market. St. Louis, another quote unquote small market. Sure, there's a million people in the town, but it is a thing to do. They keep those tickets relatively cheap. They charge you 10 bucks for a beer. I don't buy it for a second that these teams can compete. And even more so, I find it interesting that the players are going after the revenue sharing and saying, you can't sit there and collect the, all this money from these big market teams and not field or field a team of 35, 40 million, you know, 40. It's ridiculous. You you're not allowed to do that anymore. No teams are allowed to do that anymore because you, a, you have to spend a minimal minimum amount and the big teams will not be giving you money anymore to sit on your butts and do nothing for five, six, seven years until you get enough prospects that you feel you can buy one or two players to put you over the hump. But, you know, I find it interesting that because the players what they want is a competitive baseball game. They want equality amongst the teams, big or small. So they're saying you all got to spend. You all have to. You know, now we're not getting rid of luxury tax because that's a default sort of salary cap. We're not getting rid of that. They only said they want to do what two ten up to two twenty now. Oh, we'll get to the luxury tax. Yeah. We're 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 coming to the luxury tax. <laughs> so. 
But you you know, and I don't I don't think the owners are ever going to give on that. Once once we got the luxury tax, it was the luxury tax was here to stay, in my estimation. Um, I think that's that's a if they if the players wanted the luxury tax gone, we're not having a season this year. If that's one of the main sticking points, I mean. But if you can get a salary floor, I think that's a good uh, start. But competitive baseball—that's what we want. The revenue sharing argument is an interesting one because I think that's catching a lot of fans by surprise. So I want to break this one down a little bit. The reason that the players are going after revenue sharing is not that they hate the idea of the Yankees and Red Sox redistributing some money to Kansas City. That that makes intuitive sense. We can all see why that should be a thing. What they want is that money to be conditioned on fielding a competitive baseball team, right? They want a guarantee that you're going to take those dollars that you got from Chicago and you are going to put them into player salaries, which is not happening right now. So you need a salary floor or you need some or you need conditional revenue sharing to do that. Right? I've seen a couple of interesting proposals. I've seen some proposals that are tied to performance, right? Like you have to win at least 75 games in order yeah. to get your revenue sharing money. Like you can't just sit there and lose 100 and 110 games back to back to back and rack up draft picks. And then like all of a sudden you're like, oh, hey, we're ready to go. Like We're, we're in our five years now like that's out of control so i think that there's a conditional revenue sharing solution here but from a player perspective what they're really saying is if you only have five to eight teams competing in any given year you have functionally cut out the free agent market because instead of there being 30 shortstop jobs available there are eight and if four of those teams already have a shortstop in place there are actually four so if you have eight shortstops available. Now, all of a sudden, only four teams have the incentive to upgrade there. Nobody is going to get a good contract there. It it drives down player salaries, right? That lack of competing all the time drives down player salaries. And frankly, this is one of those things that came when the consultant class started working in baseball front offices. They're like, hey, we're not really going to win this year. You know what's valuable? Draft picks. Yeah. Uh, well, it kind of reminded me of the uh, the movie The Producers, you know, when they figure out they could make more, more money with a flop than, and then they they put on uh, the springtime for Hitler. And uh, yeah, it kind of reminds me of that. It's just like if you can sit back and I mean, and not try and, uh, you know, still take all the money, um, you know, that that's just unfair. And I think it's good for the game if there is competition. You see some of these. Uh, I mean, look at the NL West last year. Very exciting race between the Dodgers and the Giants. Well, how did those teams get to historic win totals? By beating the living crap out of the Rockies and the Diamondbacks, you know? So, I mean, it's like, what are we looking at here? Well, and who's the big loser in that scenario? The San Diego Padres. And the San Diego Padres are one of the few teams that has spent in recent years. They went out and traded for you, Darvish, they gave Manny Machado $300 million. They gave Francisco Lindor $300 million. They went out and signed Eric Hosmer, which that was a bad contract. That was, that was not intel. That was not intelligent spending. You meant you of- Fernando Tatis. <laughs> or who did I say? Uh, Lindor. Oh my goodness gracious, dude. <laughs> okay, Lindor. Out, it up. <laughs> in fairness, Lindor also got $300 million. Nah, I'll yeah. leave it in. Like, I, I'm rusty, y'all. I'm still trying. I, I'm mixing up my Franciscos. Uh, I'm my Franciscos and my Fernandos and my Lindors and my. Look, they both play shortstop. They're both outstanding. Yeah. Cut me some I, 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 I'll, I'll forgive it. <laughs> uh, 
dude, I, uh, yeah, seriously. But, but my point is the, the team that spent the team that committed all the money, they lost. They yeah. were 500 team. They got beat by the teams that did like all the savvy, like we'll do the low cost signing and we'll take the 32 year old and we'll pay some coaches who are cheaper and that will give us some margins. And then we'll, you know, like if the teams who are spending lose and the teams who are acting like consultants slash tankings win, we have a problem because that messes up the financial incentives in Major League Baseball in a way that will always hurt the players. Well, it's and granted, we all know that you can make more money in New York City than you can in Kansas City. You know, we all know, you know, that if you go buy a hamburger in New York, it costs you twenty five dollars. If you buy one in Kansas City, it is ten. You know, so we we all know this. So like the fact that things aren't equal around the country and thus with the teams, we all understand that. So fine. So let's what we want is baseball communism in a way like we want at least that it be a meritocracy in in which that the best talent was able to and i'm talking about front office talent in a way put together a team with a with with money i mean money's a tool money's a tool to hire players so if you have to spend at least 100 million dollars well that would basically double the pittsburgh pirates payroll overnight and the Cleveland Indians and a bunch of other teams, or the Cleveland Guardians now, uh, you know, it would would it would double their payrolls overnight, and that is what should happen. Now, no, I know why luxury tax was put in place. You don't want the George. It was because George Steinbrenner. <laughs> like, let's face it, it was because honestly, it's Steve Cohen now. Like Steve yeah, Cohen yeah. is the reason the luxury Whatever. tax is in place. New now. York, you know, he's that meme of like you know floating dollars out of your hands. You know, one at a time. That's what they're doing now, and that's what New York should be doing because it's freaking New York. We get it. But if you're going to spend that much, you're going to go over the luxury tax, and some of that money goes to other teams. Great, but you have to spend it. You have to spend it and not just on international draft picks that you get because you have compensatory this and that, like the stupid Cardinals, who every time the Cubs lose a game, the Cardinals get another draft pick. So, like, I am honestly still so salty that the Rockies paid the Cardinals to take Nolan Arenado. Uh, uh, that sometimes I honestly just can't, I, I can't think about it. It, it uh, makes me angry well, to just, think yeah. about the fact that we have an economic structure in baseball where that is possible. Well, just let me give you some good news. If there is a strike or a lockout that lasts the entire year, Yanni Molina's farewell tour will have been wrecked. And so we can just have that (laughs) to be excited about because I don't know if he'll do it the next time. He'll be one year older. You know, we should talk about this, though, because I think that this is interesting, the difference between a strike and a lockout. And and we're actually coming up close here on time, so maybe we'll just – handle that and and save some of these other topics for another day because frankly the lockout's gonna last a while we we, we can talk about the lockout for ages um the thing that's really interesting the thing that fans really need to pay attention to here i was super interested in these language and word choice choices by the teams and the owners you know they keep talking about the players forced us into a lockout the players forced us to have a lockout that is untrue that is only true in the sense like have you ever gone to somebody and you're like man, why did you do that? You made me so mad at you. Like you blame someone else for your anger and your reaction. That is what the owners are doing in this part. It is gaslighting. It is nonsense. They chose a lockout. Now they chose a lockout for a couple of reasons. It's strategic. One other team, other leagues have lockouts at this point in time when there's not a CBA, they start, they initiate a lockout to force a negotiation. 
Two, lockouts have historically not resulted in lost games, uh, whereas strikes have. When the players walk away from the table, it's usually much later. It's usually like in January or February and there's no time to fix it. And then all of a sudden you start losing some playing time and you have to get spring training back and you have to do a bunch of other things. So there are strategic reasons that MLB opted for a lockout. But I really need them to stop acting like the players did this because that is a tactical decision made by the owners. And and I'm not into being gaslit by Rob Manfred. Well, the MLB does a really terrible job of promoting their own players who are their bread and butter. I mean, I have never shown up to Wrigley Field to cheer Tom Ricketts walking around, you know, for example. I go there to cheer the players. And ultimately, you know, all that the owners have is the money to buy a team. And that is it. Now, the and they just want to make a little bit more. And they hired Manfred to make sure that they make a little bit more all the time. We've seen the revenue growth in online uh, in, I mean, got they got Nike on the front of the jerseys. They're, they're selling them for, for 500 bucks. People are buying them. The, uh, the, uh, I mean, they've, they're selling NFTs for Bitcoin right now. Like they have financialized it as far as they possibly get. And they don't leave a single penny unturned. You know what I mean? They have financialized the sport uh, over and above. They're and they're winning, like the Rays. They're winning with a very little um, uh, payroll. So at the, at this point, the players, I feel like they've gotten the the short end of the stick. The last few negotiations, I feel like the players need to stick to their guns at this point, and that you know, Rob Manfred, he will continue to say all the wrong things about the players and demonize them and do it because he hates baseball and he hates the players. Like it is honestly, we saw it last year with the 2020 trying to get that season going. They couldn't do it. There's such contentious because the owners actually, they don't, they hate their players. Like it's, they're against them. Like they have an arbitration system in which they call you in and they're like, you struck out 43 times last year and you're bad at baseball. I only want to pay you $300,000 less. Cause you know, and you know, and it's just like, that's a system that they have set up and it's so frustrating. And, uh, I think they're idiots because the fact is the players, we love them. We, the, the, Fans, I, and more and more, I don't see, I see reporters carrying water for the owners for access, but I do not see the fans being like, well, these greedy players. I'm not seeing that narrative out there this time, and I've seen it before, and this time I'm not seeing it. Everybody kind of knows, maybe a little bit, uh, but it, it's not the prevailing thought amongst fans. They cannot screw this up because, you know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, they already had uh, an entire lost year of revenue as far as in the stadium goes. And then you had uh, some teams that had uh, uh, social distanced audiences for the beginning of the year. They've, they, they didn't lose any money. They just didn't make as much money as they had projected. So, you know, at this point, you know, we know this. All the information is out there. It's on Twitter. It's on Facebook. It's in your blog. It's in, you know what I mean? It's in Brett Taylor's blog. It's in Evan Altman's. Everybody's writing about this. Athletic. All the drags. We're not as stupid as we once were. And I'm insulted by Rob Manfred talking down to us that way and acting like we're a bunch of idiots. 
And I'm honestly, I already hated him. So like, it was easy to be like one sentence in, oh, oh man, you know, it was easy to be that guy, but man, oh man, it's just, it, could you get worse? Could you get worse, Rob? No, he cannot. Actually, the thing that really made, like, just appalled me, and I tweeted this earlier today from Rob Manfred's presser, was where he got asked about whether players would have access to the mental and physical health resources that they get from teams. Uh, And he was just like, oh, it's a legal issue. We can't do it. And then there was a follow-up about how the NHL in 2012 actually made an exception. When they locked out the players, they made a health exception for them so that they could still rehab they could still talk to their mental health coaches. They could still talk to the people who make their lives livable and better and make them better players when they come back because it's not in the NHL's interest for players to all of a sudden stop their rehab because of a lockout. And Manfred was just like, yeah, that's, we consider that a legal issue. And he just blew off this whole idea of mental and physical health at a time where mental and physical health is like for, front of mind for yeah. everyone. We have been living in a pandemic nightmare for so long and so many people are struggling and Rob Manfred's just like, yeah, that's a legal issue. Just blows it off. It's the concern that is at the core of every regular person out there. Every baseball fan can relate to the players at that moment way more than the owners and Rob Manfred. Yeah. He's a bad face of, uh, I mean, I guess he's the face of baseball in some ways. And he's a really bad face of it. I mean, other, uh, it's, it's, I mean... I, I don't know that there's been a lot of great commissioners. I mean, we've always hated the commissioner, right? That's like kind of part of it. But it would be – and he works on behalf of the owners. And um, I don't know. In the fight between billionaires and millionaires, I, I've never – as I said, I've never paid money to go see Tom Ricketts. I never did once. And I do pay for all these other guys, and I love going and seeing them. So I know whose side I'm on. I know who should probably get all the money, and it's the players. The owners – you know, this is an honor for them to even be involved because they're nothing like they're nobody. They're usually some guy who got their money from some other thing that they didn't even earn half the time. You know, it's nepotism. It's like rich daddy. In the case of the Ricketts, it's exactly that. So I am absolutely not interested in taking their side in the least because, um, you know, it's just we're, we're Cub fans. We're not Ricketts fans. Ricketts will be gone someday. The Cubs will still be there. I root for the laundry and, uh, you know, the players deserve their fair share. You know, if, if the, if the owners want to cry poor, open the books, open the books, let's see what you make and let's see how little you're getting paid all the time and how it's really a money losing thing. When we buy $500 jerseys, show me that math. Cause I'd like to see it. I could not agree with you more. We will have a lot more to talk about as this lockout continues. We are only one day in people. So there will, we'll be back next week to talk all lockout. All the time. But in the meantime, Danny, where can people find you on Twitter to hear about all of the awesome work that you're doing and frankly to to, to hear these awesome rants in favor of solidarity oh, with the players? Oh, I'm heated up tonight, Sarah. Um, well, it's the Sun Ranto podcast is uh, our normal podcast. We're kind of a TV show now that we go live Wednesdays at seven o'clock uh, right now during the off season. And we got Crawley, our friend Crawley, and uh, Michael Cotton on that show. We've been on a long time. We've been going for about ten years now. So this, is, so now we had to go on TV. We're like, we are way too handsome to be a podcast. So we 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 took it out in front of everybody's face. But um, yeah, you can find me there. Also, I do want to plug a December eleventh uh, Cubs caroling party that we're going to be doing. We're meeting at G Man Tavern, which is just north of Wrigley Field on Clark. Um, at 5 p.m. And I write a bunch of Cubs uh, Christmas parodies 
and we're going to go around Wrigleyville and we're going to sing them to everybody and we're going to drink and it's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, I actually wrote uh, up a invitation on uh, Cubs Insider about it. You can find it there right now. It's got all the details. There's also a Facebook event. You could find that just Look up Cubs Caroling, Sunranto, S-O-N-R-A-N-T-O, and you will find it and join on the event so I know how many uh, copies of the Christmas songs to make for everybody. So uh, that, that's pretty much where you can find me. Awesome. And, or, and walking around Wrigley Field, apparently, because we bumped into each other just the other day. That's <laughs> we, why we're we, doing this. We most certainly did bump into each other just walking around the old ballpark. Uh, as always, you can find me at, at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find all of our podcast content and episodes at, at Cup of Cubby Blue. Uh, when Andy is back, you can find her at, at BRYZ uh, Blue on Twitter. And we will be back next week with more lockout news, hopefully not for too many weeks in a row. I would like to see baseball back at some point. Until next time. Bye. Thought our best days were behind us, but then the Cubs surprised us. Rick, it started spending dough. We got troll, we got troll, we got troll. I didn't think we were trying. No big free agent signings. But now we're not gonna blow. We got troll, we got troll, we got troll. A pitcher who throws lots of strikes. Won't give up a lot of walks. He's a fierce and tenacious guy Kicks other teams in the balls Cup fans have a real good reason To watch the Cubs next season Wrigley's gonna explode We got troll, we got troll, we got troll We got troll, we got troll, we got troll We got troll, we got troll, we got troll We got him! (laughs) We're not gonna suck.